Welcome to the Zion Art Podcast, dedicated to exploring the art and culture of Latter-day Saints through interviews with artists, collectors, and scholars. The podcast is presented by the Zion Art Society. Today, we give you a recording of a panel discussion held as part of the Certain Women Art Show. Four panelists join the discussion, including Dr. Rita Wright, Director of the Springville Museum of Art, Ashley Whitaker, the Roy and Carol Christensen Curator of Religious Art at BYU Museum of Art, Heather Belknap, Associate Professor of European Studies at BYU Museum of Art, and Hannah Miller, Temple Art Historian for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I was fortunate enough to be the moderator for the discussion that explored Latter-day Saint women artists past and present, and without further ado, here is the discussion. Well, welcome everyone to our panel discussion for the Certain Women Art Show. We have, and I, I always have to do that almost as if I'm pounding and emphasizing each syllable, because this has been um, this has been somewhat of a phenomenon. I've been surprised at how much. I don't know about the rest of you if it is totally overtaking your social media feeds, Facebook, <laughs> Instagram. It seems like I have seen nothing but certain women, delightfully so. Does it, does it dilute it if it's many women, if it's just certain women? I don't think so. That's a philosophical question. I can't answer that personally. No. Um, but I am very um, pleased to be here. My name is Micah Christensen, and I will be the moderator. I am a co-founder of what is the Zion Art Society. that was founded three years ago to promote, um, to, to promote LDS artists as they were in various stages of their career and are primary emphasis was to hold exhibitions that no one else could. And we had been approached a, a short while ago by, by a group of, of women artists. And I remember specifically Nicole Woodbury, who's in the back. She's one of the three organizers of this year's Certain Women Art Show. The organizers this year are Nicole Woodbury, Mary Cole, Mary Bricky Cole, and um, Laura Erickson. I'm sorry if I'm if I'm stumbling a little bit, because I'm used to seeing them all in the same place, but they're all in different places at the moment. But they have done all of the work here, from the, invita- the inviting of the artist, this is an invitational, to the curating of the show. And, and I think that this show, I don't, I, when I say all the work, they did not make all of the work. There are, nine, there are almost 90 artists here who've all created an original work for this show which I think is historic. I don't know, um, last year was a kind of, I don't know if I'd call it an experiment, but it was a first, tr- first run. And this year is more than double the size and um, it's getting a lot of attention as it, as it should. Uh, today we have as our, as our panelists, um, who will be introducing themselves, four very influential figures in, the, in, in, in Mormon visual culture. And I'm gonna start, with uh, Rita Wright, if you could please introduce yourself. I'm Rita Wright, I'm the director of the Springville Museum of Art, and uh, we just opened, we will open this week, our Spiritual Religious Art of Utah, the 34th, the 95th Salon, which many of these women have entered. But I'm so pleased that I've had a professional relationship with each of these other women up here and their amazing, dynamic, and um, very inspiring for me. Okay, thank you, Rita. Ashley Whitaker. 
Yeah, my name is Ashley Whitaker. I am the Curator of Religious Art at the BYU Museum of Art. And um, in that capacity, of course, have a passion for religious art um, across many faiths. Prior to being at BYU, I was at the Springville Museum of Art working there, and that's where I developed such a deep love for contemporary Utah art and artists. And uh, so I love what's happening right here and just the energy of our contemporary Utah art scene. And really, this is beyond Utah, but especially with what women are doing. So this is just exciting. Thank you, Ashley. Heather Belknap. Uh, Heather Belknap. I'm an associate professor at Brigham Young University um, of Art History and Curatorial Studies. And my research areas are women in art and religion in art. Uh, and I'm interested in the historical as well as the contemporary. And I just want to echo what Rita said about how gratifying it is to share the, this moment with uh, colleagues and former students and a graduate school friend <laughs> and uh, that we've um, been together and talked about and written about and uh, been cared passionately about this, this topic. So it's very gratifying. Thank you. And Hannah Miller. I'm Hannah Miller. I am the Temple Art Curator for the church, and it's a bit intimidating to be with these women up here, but I've learned so much from them and to be amongst all these beautiful pieces of artwork with so many women who have great insight is a privilege. So. Okay. Thank you. Can we have a round of applause for our <laughs> panelists? Now, before, before I ask our first question, um, I just want to remind you to speak loudly because we're, even though this is a smallish room, it still gets sucked up the, the sound. So every time you have a, uh, did you have something you wanted to say, right? Yes. Can you move your podium? Yeah, Will that miss Eric up? Yes. Because we can't see you. <laughs> I want to see Mike you. I want to see you too. Mike is the thorn among the flowers I, here, I, so. I am. I am. I feel so insecure. I just want to, I wish I could just do it all behind this wall. I won't. Um, so as we were thinking about questions for this, um, and I don't know, I don't have a particular format in mind. I think that um, if you have, if you have um, uh, something you'd like to say about this question, or even if you'd like to ask the question in a different way, feel free. Um, the tangents are where the joy and the, the, the better thoughts often come from, right? So the first question that, that we have is, how has the visibility of art by Latter-day Saint women changed over the history of the church? Is there anyone who wants to you know, talk about that? And you can, you can pick almost any point if you wanted to. I mean, you could start you know, with the very earliest Latter-day Saint artists, or you could start somewhere in the middle. But when you, when you think about that question of where we are now versus where we've been, how have things changed? Hmm. <laughs> I, I'd be happy to start with the, the story. Okay. Should I, Heather should I, Bellman, yes, should I do that? Sure. So uh, the early settlers here in Utah in the late 19th and early 20th century who started making art, um, the women were by and large LDS. And so they would exhibit together but without identifying their religion. So I know of no show uh, in at least the first 50 years of the 20th century that was Mormon women artists or LDS women artists. But I think their identity and their ideals infused their art. It was just sort of an understood. 
Does it mean that Gentiles were involved, were invited to, or non-Gentiles? <laughs> yes. The Goyim were not allowed to be Yeah, there. you do see some of the, the Gentiles and, and, and some of them who are maybe baptized into the faith or, or blessed into the faith, but then didn't, didn't continue, but it seemed to be a, a non-issue. But there were women shows that were taking place, and were they exclusively dedicated and organized by women at the time? Or is that a harder, more... Yeah, I would say, I mean, I'm just kind of thinking through some of the surveys. I would say there was a lot of gender parodies. So you'd see a lot of shows that would have both men and women kind of in equal numbers. But I maintain, and I'm continuing to um, do research on this, that it was women who were organizing, who were the, the masterminds, who were promoting, who were doing the heavy lifting of creating the art scene here in Utah, which was predominantly by LDS folk. Mm-hmm. And many of the women ended up being the educators. Right. And I think that's an important thing to note, that in the history, especially here in Utah, that there was this movement between educational thought and theory and what they were doing technically, professionally, philosophically in the art. So we had this powerful merging of both reaching out to children and the community with that kind of a voice of making sure that it it aligned with certain ideas, certain elements of belief, um, and the larger civilizing aspects of art. But then we see the individual artists incorporating that into their own voices as they move forward in subject matter, and as we see now, in very sophisticated conceptual development. Mm-hmm. So I, I, that that makes me um, wonder about a question, and I've, I've got to be careful how I phrase this because it's the idea that, which it's a false idea that, the, but is oft repeated that those who can't do teach, which is nonsense, right? But the idea that. These, the women were often educators as well as artists. Was there in that time a separation in the idea of that they were they were teaching and the, so that was there so it, it, it took away from their artistic activities and their production otherwise or did they two go hand in hand and do we know? You want to take this? Heather, you've got a thought on this. I do. I mean, Edwin Evans was teaching, J.T. Harwood. They, right. were, they were all teaching at the universities or high schools or right. academies here. So, again, there's surprising parody. Okay. Yeah, yeah I, I would agree. <clears throat> um, I mean, a couple thoughts I've had on this, on this question. I mean, if you... Oh, speak louder? Yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, if you were to take a cross-section of people and be like, tell me about a historic woman artist in the church. I mean, I think a lot of people might come up with Minerva Teichert. Um, I mean, she's a standout. And early on, I mean, you do have these women that are training in Paris with the, the boys, the Utah boys that go there as missionaries for the church. There's women there. Myra Sawyer is the first of the Utah, well, the second Utah artist to be shown in the Paris Salon. I mean, she's making headway as an artist. Um, but, I mean, historically, they, they don't end up coming back and getting the commissions in the church, and, and they do their own thing. Um, so I think their visibility does fall. There's key moments like Alice Merrill Horn. I mean, she was an artist who trained in Paris, and then she comes back, and she, I almost feel like in a single-handed way, champions some of these early artists um, and even Minerva Teichert, I mean, Alice Merrill Horn helped her 
have people buy her works right. and become aware of who Minerva was as an artist. Um, so there were a few of those key things, but I think by and large they they are not really visible until our more contemporary moment. Well, and a lot of it has to do with they're not visible within the church framework, yes, right? Exactly. So they're highly visible and productive yeah. within the, the community, but not being, uh, their work isn't being purchased for temples and and so on. Major and the marketplace yeah. was quite stinted in general. I mean, sure. there really yeah. wasn't sure. a lot of patronage going on. I guess you could say that portraits were happening among wealthy citizens and the church was doing temples, which you say, you're saying, as I understand that the many of the women, that the women did not get those commissions. In the Manti temple. But there's a lot of activity going on with art creation, even though it's not, there, there isn't a, a, a corresponding marketplace necessarily. Right. And I would want to add that I think important work is being done uh, by these women in terms of art advocacy and thinking about aesthetics. So if you go to the Young Women's Journal, you go to the Exponent, you go to the Relief Society magazine, and you'll see just scores and scores of essays about art and aesthetics and beauty and the importance of cultivating these things, written by women and some, some men, but there um, was a true love and and sense of mission for beautifying the world that infused the LDS church in the early part of the 20th century. So let's go to mid-century for a moment. You have a period where you have um, the church for a long period of time is not commissioning a great deal of art in temples uh, or otherwise. And then you have in the 1960s a kind of, you have the the, uh, the World's Fair in New York. You have the church who start, that starts commissioning, at first, non-Latter-day Saint artists like um, uh, um, Harry Anderson, John Scott, and um, oh, Marone, John Lovell. Thank you very much from the audience. The shout out from John Lovell <laughs> up into the 70s. And um, you have Arnold Freeberg, kind of. I mean, he's he's been given to them as kind of a legacy project from from uh, from Adele Cannon Howells. But are there women artists who are in this period, we're talking mid-century, um, either for the church as patron or the people of the church who are, who are playing a role institutionally, visually, educationally? So, because this was an area that I was researching when I was at the church, I think the role you look at Florence Jacobson in doing the Church History Museum and uh, the Symphony Guild, Dorothy Smart building that element, uh, um, Beverly Taylor Sorensen, these women were making sure that these traditions were disseminated to the public in general. They were supporting the actual art makers in those different areas and making sure that they had ongoing work, their visibility was there. And so I see it as being very significant. They were not just doing it as church members. They were doing it because they felt very strongly about the importance of that in our community. And people today, I was just talking with um, some company leadership that will be moving their company to Utah. And they said one of the main things we were looking at the size, the growth, the kind of uh, population that, that's there, 
but where else with a community, a city the size of Salt Lake, do you see professional ballet, symphony, arts organizations? And I think mid-20th century is when those women were committed, whether we were talking before about the 13th Article of Faith and how they were interpreting that, but I think they were very much drivers in getting these organizations solidified moving forward and building confidence in those who created art. It's interesting. So institutionally where, I mean, you could say that in the history of art, what's often missing the most is the institutional power that's supporting things and the women were the major players. And they were strategically placing themselves to have that kind of um, leadership and, and powerful opportunity. Hmm. Hmm. But I, I would say in the visual arts, the death of Alice Merrill Horn spelled uh, a, a kind of a period of latency in terms of the promotion and development of women in the arts. I mean, she was just such a powerhouse. She really? she held this community together, and she made sure that there were commissions and that the, their works were being shown, and that if they didn't have money to buy dresses for the choir performance, she would find someone to, you know, their daughter or whatever. I mean, they were, they were just very tight-knit and, and very committed to this, this idea of it being their mission to spread beauty, the, the mission of beauty and love and, 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 and joy of the arts. And so it's, it's difficult to, to kind of pull apart the LDS and the, the civic, mm-hmm. yeah. right? And that's one of the things that I, I actually think is kind of missing from the, the contemporary moment is this, this sense that it's, it's all integrated. It's not just I, I'm LDS and I'm from Utah and I'm an American, and, but, but they saw themselves as kind of emissaries of this message and, and that their art was to speak to all as well as to speak of their experience as an LDS woman. I just, I, I received a note, saw a note recently from a journalist that was in essence complaining about our spiritual religious show at Springville. She said, it's a, just another Mormon show. And we've made very um, pointed effort to say this is, we've accepted more and a variety, a larger number of different belief faith traditions, but I think that we've seen battling going on between community members who do feel alienated. And, you know, I've had a couple of comments. What's this show going on at Anthony's, and do we have to be LDS? Um, And I'm going to go back and forward with adjectival propriety here of Mormon or LDS. And culturally, yeah. we still do use Mormon. But I thought uh, you, that was... You lose five points every time you say <laughs> that. And, and there's a winner declared at yeah, the end. Yeah, at the end. But I do, I do think that's a concern, and to bring it up to a contemporary time, do we want to keep developing this strength amongst the LDS artists, or do we also want to make sure that we have opportunities to represent women in general, and that we don't marginalize now some of our really professional uh, male artists. And so it's a hard line. It's a place to find out where do we build confidence and start to have that identity, but at the same time, not in the very effort of doing that, start marginalizing some of the others who have a lot to contribute to our perspectives in art. And it would seem like this is, if we're talking from the beginning to mid-century, 
you have a, the predominant population of Utah is Latter-day Saints. And you have up until the 1960s, I think, I'm going to get the numbers wrong, but it's roughly about 1 to 1.5 million who are predominantly within the corridor of, of uh, Idaho, Nevada, Utah, Arizona. And the church starts doubling its population from the 1960s on and then exponentially growing it in the 80s. And then it's the first time you get the larger population outside of Utah than inside of Utah. So these women that you're mentioning, Sorensen, Alice Merrill Horn, some of these other, some of, some of the people that we've been talking about, whenever they're building an institution, it is for, it is, it is predominantly for everyone who's here locally, which also happens to be the majority of, of, of the Mormon population. Mm-hmm. I did it, I lost five points. The Latter-day Saint population at the same time, right? And so, so I guess I mean that is a that is in and of itself an, an interesting question because I know that you've all had some involvement and it, whether you've been known artists, been judges, or organized um, the the Church International Exhibition, and that is a, a real effort. And that starts when in the 1980s, late 1980s. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, and starts in the late 1980s. It happens every four years now. Is it the 70s? Every three years. Yeah, every three years. 80, 87, Laura. 87. I think it's 87. 87. It's in 1987, and and um, the idea is that we want to bring the international um, element to now the administrative center of the church, and then distribute it through the administrative uh, vehicles of magazines and so forth. And is and and I, that's a question that that I have. Um, I guess is the next question in this of how has LDS art changed over time in regards to women and visibility. What is the visibility of international Latter Day Saint women artists within Latter Day Saint culture? I think you should take that. Uh, well, it's kind of yeah. interesting looking, at least from the perspective of curating temple art. There's such a need to do, to put art in temples where local artists are contributing to that art. And you have so many things to consider with their culture, their visual culture, um, their style, and, and it just, it is harder to manage from a headquarters position to see how it's, um, to take each temple, especially with the ex- exponential growth of temples, to do that for each area around the world and not make it standardized is an incredibly difficult thing. So if we can open those doors a little bit more and have you know, awareness of what the standards are kind of within the church, I know that's a very niche position of LDS art um, within what's in temples and what the church publishes, but also um, having us as a headquarters and um, centralized position of the church be far more aware of regional art and how people are developing art in their part of the world and how that comes into play with their subcultures even beyond being a member of the church. As someone who's involved in the temple art process, how do you seek out those artists? How do you, how do they, you, you become aware of them? A lot of it is with the internet. That's a huge uh, part of it, and you know we're not limited to just LDS artists either. When we're commissioning art, we, I mean, I think that's 
a kind of a fine line because you're working with doctrinal subjects within the church, um, and there has to be some understanding there. But we also do um, landscape artwork, which has a lot of spiritualism even beyond the theology of our faith. And I think um, if we can, I know you know we're talking to different artists, getting recommendations from people around the world that we can, but it's it's limited if we don't have people in those places and, and making those discoveries in person. Um, mm -hmm. So we, we're doing the best that we can, so to speak. It's a big task. It is, yeah. I imagine it's a, it's a monumental task. How many temples are there in, in process at the moment? There's 160 operating and I think 30 now, now or 30 under construction, so yeah. growing. Wow, wow. <laughs> Did anyone else want to talk about um, visibility of international artists? I, mean, I would, would just point out it's a problem of international artists and then it gets even more complicated if they're women. Um, so if you look at the end index of art that you can purchase for the meeting houses, correct me if I'm wrong, people in this room, I think there's only one woman, and that's Minerva Teichert, who is an approved artist to be shown in meeting houses. We're working on it. Right, it's a work, it's a work, it's a work in progress. It's a shout out from, but, from a church, yes. church art acquisitions manager, global yes. art acquisitions manager there. So, and that to me is, is where the visibility um, can be best measured is because this is a site where people, bishops choose what's going to be in their meeting houses and, and uh, when you have that list, the international art competition is very important, but it only has so much reach. And right. so, you know, for, for me, that is the most. And, and Temples also has a more limited audience. Absolutely, yeah. And this is, so, this is a kind of tangent. It's something that I've always wanted to ask. But you go, go, go ahead first, Ashley, if you want. Just to, to say, along with that, I mean, I've I've talked to people who um, were looking through the Come Follow Me manual and. The church is really making efforts, I think, to bring new imagery in, and it's a long process. And I think we all acknowledge that. Even in the Come Follow Me manual, a lot of people saying, you know, there's a disparity between the men, the male artists, and the you know small amount of women. I think there's nine images that by women artists, um, mm. and of that, just maybe three or four artists represented. And so it is, it is a work in progress. And I think it's through these these things that it really does invite us more and more to, to always be considering like are people seeing themselves in the work that we're putting out and I had a really beautiful experience and this the temple art is not my my purview by any <laughs> means but but seeing the efforts the church is starting to make I had a conversation with a friend of mine who's she's african-american and of course feels distanced from the imagery in our church as a convert especially, she's like, I don't, I don't know how I fit in. But then walking into one of the temples and seeing a painting by a woman artist of, of an African-American woman. Is this the Elspeth a, Young yeah. work? Yeah, I mean, it's a step in, in that direction. So I think, I think that's the direction that we're looking forward to. And, and this idea of looking ahead and, and really that idea of finding and seeing ourselves as women in the art of the churches is compelling and I think more more and more people are wanting that and it will it's a work in progress okay 
great. I think one of yeah. the difficult things, and, and Laura has taken on a, an amazing new opportunity here and we'll be working on the next international competition, but to get back to what really is going on here and as I've had to learn to jury and make those judgments, the international competition is very difficult. We're pulling for artists that many times we don't understand their technical or their indigenous arts kinds of things. And so to make judgment calls about technical ability and then the conceptual, the development of an idea can be very difficult when we're doing it across this global environment. And many times we don't necessarily read the women. If you're doing anonymous jurying, you have a sense but sometimes are really fooled and you don't want to make a tokenist decision. I know we had a big discussion. There was a work from Ukraine. Is this when you were judging mm -hmm, when the, I was at, at the, the, the one before last yeah. of the Church International Exhibition? And it's really like any kind of jurying. Once you know what, what those criteria are and you have to kind of begin with something so you try to look at technical ability, but again, not being familiar with media or exactly what their cultural background is, is very difficult. And I think this gets back to both what Hannah and Ashley said. Around the world, we are not versed in some of those. So I think the international competition is the toughest thing that goes on here, to be respectful to those voices and those artists and their, their abilities but also to recognize how much of the heart they are putting into it. We had a, a rug design of the Last Supper, of Leonardo's Last Supper, that was done on a plastic weaving thing they had gotten in a kit. And so we were trying to, to say, where are, what's our value and aesthetic judgment here, and still be respectful for what it took that person in a remote area of Ukraine to be able to access and say, I want to do something like the Last Supper. Mm -hmm. And for them, that was an incredible offering of spirit and heart. Yeah. And so to come back to how do we really value these things? What are our aesthetic judgments? And it, it becomes all the more difficult in a global community, I believe. You had mentioned, I want to pick up on a word that you said. You talked about the anonymity often of these, of these works of art. And it, the thought came to me immediately that perhaps the most prolific temple painter in the history of the world, yes, I will make that grandiose of a statement, is Linda Curley Christensen. If we're just talking about amount of work, square footage of work, I think the average painting she does, and she does many of the interior landscapes of, of, of uh, endowment rooms, and I think the average length is 100 or 110 feet of canvas that's 10 or 11 feet high. And she has a work that's at the beginning of the Certain Women show that is the first, maybe the second figurative work I've ever seen by her. She has an entire team of people that work underneath her mm -hmm. that she manages. I mean, she's, she's basically you know, an, like an old master shop. Right, mm -hmm. creating these things mm -hmm. for princes and palaces in the 16th century, and today she's doing it for for our temples. So there are a lot of comparisons I don't necessarily intend to make here. I've got to be careful. Mm -hmm. But um, her anonymity is almost total, and there are very few people who know that. And when I've talked with people about this figurative piece that have come through and said, "Have you ever heard of Linda Curley Christensen?" I'd almost guarantee none of them knew 
who I she know. were, who were not, you know, in the direct arts community. But I would guarantee that many of those people have sat in those rooms, even some of them probably got temple checklists, right, about how many temples they've been to. And they probably have a lot of Curly Christensen paintings they've seen. Not that we want to make it a tourist destination for art. I know that's a separate concern entirely. But it does, que- it does come to this issue of, you know, the original qu- question, visibility of female artists, right, is that I don't... I, it, in the church, we take, um, and it's not just female artists, but the way that we treat everyone but those who are in the hymn book who create art that's for official purposes mm-hmm. is, is, uh, is interesting. I don't know, and I, there are a lot of concerns in that. Um, maybe we should go on to the next, well, we, the last part of the question, because we stopped in the 80s. I want to quickly come to visibility now of female artists. How has technology, social media, the, the proliferation of shows like um, the interpretation thereof that Ashley recently organized, the spirituality and religious show, um, the, the students who've been coming out of BYU, who've been curating, who have been exhibiting. Has, are we in, a, in an era that is qualitatively, quantitatively different for the visibility of female artists now? Yes. I mean, what you just said. Absolutely. Look, yes. this, yes. we and are how, in the middle of yeah. that. We're right. in the middle of So this is one, yes? Yes. yes. And All in favor. applause to Nicole and Laura <laughs> and Mary for that. Yes, right. absolutely. <laughs> is there, um, it, um, and, and uh, I mean, this would also be a question, I guess, for female artists who are now, who've lived through both eras and seen their art maybe in, in different areas. But how, how do you, how is, maybe the question is, how has your um, exposure to art done by women artists changed with technology? And as, as people who are involved in the community, are you constantly learning about people that you would have never known about otherwise? Definitely. Constantly following on Instagram. Right. And, yeah. and it's, I mean, it's, I think we'll all speak to the, the miracle that, that Facebook Instagram is for artists. I mean, any woman working in her studio, wherever it is, if it's in her kitchen, you know, Minerva Tykert worked at nighttime, and and we've got artists doing the same thing as they're balancing their load as career women and mothers and artists, and um, just being able to have that access and to be sharing their stories, collaborating with other artists and inspiring each other, it's really remarkable. I mean, that in and of itself, I think, is transforming how our community is starting to become more and more aware that there is more than just what they see in the curriculum manuals and right. on the walls of hmm. meeting houses. Right. And, uh, and also giving an opportunity where, I mean, we talk often of, of the church and its, its efforts and its role, and it definitely does play a, a huge role, but there's only so much that can happen there, so much that can change in a certain amount of time. So this gives a forum and then I think it's been amazing in the past few years how the Zion Art Society, the Center for Latter-day Saint Arts, the Alliance of Covenant Artists, these groups are forming kind of grassroots movements right. again to to acknowledge that there's incredible art taking place by women and by men but the chance that women's voices get to come out in new and wonderful ways. It's so exciting. I agree because I think so often LDS artists are associated with just what's published by the church, yeah. whether that's in a temple or a manual. Um, and having a new forum, whether it's through these groups or even through social media, 
gives so much more voice to artists as a whole within the subculture of the church, but also when you even narrow that further to female artists within the church. Mm -hmm. I think it's been remarkable and it's it's interesting to see how they've they've evolved from, you know, these unknown artists and pulling these crafts of textiles and photography and tablescapes into the sphere of fine art and to be able to do that with these forums has been incredible to see. And I would just add something that Typically in a panel like this, we would begin by saying the terms LDS art and Mormon artist and are, are slippery because we talk about is LDS art ecclesiastical art that goes into one of our sacred spaces that we can get at Deseret Book that is in church publications or is it by someone who's a believer who makes art that's specifically right. about LDS subjects. And then the LDS Mormon, those aren't necessarily the same descriptors. There are a lot of cultural Mormons who grew up in this area. Area, their their um, their faith and their uh, participation in the church has maybe changed over time, but they still feel the, uh, you know a real connection to that and a sense of community. So, um, I think some of that uh, um, flexibility and, and and a sense of 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 being able to cut across some of those is returning. You know, as, as I said, as I study these women from a hundred years ago, it was sort of a non-issue because we're just women who care about the, the, the deep spiritual possibilities and purposes um, of, of women and expressing it through art. There we go, right? And nobody's checking to say, have you been baptized? Are you right. paying your tithing, right? right? And, 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 and and is this being included in the enzyme as qualifiers? official venues no. for the patronage right. of art by, a- absolutely by the hegemonic superpower Ab- of, of artistic patronage that is the church, potentially. Right. Right? Absolutely I mean, that didn't not. arise until later. <laughs> right. right, right. So it would be, just, it would be interesting, the artists who are participating in this, do you make art that looks different for other kinds of venues? And if so, yeah. sort of why, right? And it's, Well, this, this then... Oh, I have so many questions that are coming to mind. I don't think we'll have time for all, for, mm-hmm. for, for all of them. Not that not that they're all the greatest, but the, one of the questions about this is if the church is now um, not the sole way of discovering these artists, and it is not the sole patron, it's not the sole distributor of these images, and and a social media, and people are having access to it and discovering it in ways that are separate from their experience with the church, what does that mean for the subject of the art and this and the genre of the art that's being produced by these women now and i guess within this question it has to do with what subjects do women latter-day saints do differently than their male counterparts or the official art that is produced you know for it's not necessarily for sacral purposes which is you know for for ordinances in ordinance spaces um, that's a lot of questions in one. Let me back off and let me just ask this. How is subject and style changing in this new environment that we're in? Let's just start with that one. Or is it? I think it opens up entirely to something you know, totally different because the church as a patron has a very specific style and a specific subject matter and that it has to be instructive and uplifting and kind of mark all these boxes, which is great in an ordinance space when it's it's instructing you to something purposeful in that space. But when you're looking at the art 
as the primary you know, visual in a space like a gallery or museum, then you have far less restraints. And I think, I mean, I think this show is a great example of how those boundaries are just done away with. So, mm -hmm. In many ways, the art has become much more personal. Rather than an, a narrative or a subject that aligns with the historical aspect of the church, or we will talk in, in temple art, yes, there is a need for people who have both the skill and the conceptual ability to do something about the life of Christ or particular things that relate to some of those ordinances. But when it's unfettered, I, I, I'm careful, I hope, using that word, but by some of those restrictions, we had a quote in here about protest and revolution. I feel like That's my the next question. voice, it's a respectful protest, if, if I will, from what is expected by that hierarchy, but this is an unfettering of women's experience, women's voice, Whatever the subject is, I think we see it much more um, nationally, internationally, of women feeling empowered to talk about their own deepest experience. And to me, that's the biggest shift. There's no longer this idealized or external aspect of the narrative, but it's very revealing of things that have touched that artist in a most intimate way. This show is organized under the, um, the, the, the purpose statement that President Nelson, during the last women's conference, had asked women of the church to, uh, to, to meditate on the Relief Society's purpose statement and come up with their own personal statement based on that, that meditation. And Nicole and Mary and Laura asked the 90 artists who were in the show to create a visual manifestation of that purpose statement. And so when you're going around, I don't think that what would be different from this in many shows is there, there I don't know if there's a single representation of deity in the entire show because it's about personal internalizing what you're, what you're talking about. And, I, and that, that I think has struck a lot of people as they've come through a religious show that is that is largely devoid of a lot of the things we generally associate with Latter-day Saint religious imagery, but instead, it's, a, it's not it's not official. It's not opposed to it. It's not somehow, you know, trying to be contradictory in that sense. I would think. So I've I've shared this in the last couple of weeks, and it was a it was a very interesting moment for me. If you had asked me about that, and I do not have this technical ability but I was able to go to Taiwan and I was I was taken to a monastery outside you know it was not in Taipei we were south and as I because I spend so much time looking at concepts reading artist statements visiting with artists I came out of kind of an underground place into an open and saw a 50-foot Buddha way out in the distance with a bunch of their temples and at that moment, all of the discussions that I've had with so many artists about spirituality, I, it actually took my breath away. And I was a little surprised at myself as this sophisticated art scholar, um, Western art particularly, having that reaction. But it was a very sacred space, like Heather was talking about. And it was something that had been so meaningful 
to the monks in that area that they had erected this very large image of Buddha. And so all of that kind of in a, a phenomenological way came upon me with because I have shared so many intimate conversations with these artists and to be with a monk who was sharing something with me that was beyond words. Mm. And it was one of the more powerful moments in a spiritual way connecting with an image that I, I knew very little about its history, its context, the artist, but as an image itself it was situated in beautiful grounds and uh, it was breathtaking. Hmm. Thank you, thank you. Did you want to answer the question before we, I move on to another question? Um, yeah, I mean I would just say that a generation ago you wouldn't have seen a show like this and, what do you um, mean by that? Um, first of all, just the collective, and particularly art that focuses on women's experiences that is personal, that is individualistic. You know, there was a whole generation or two or three in which you were not to foreground your identity as a woman and that to paint a mother and child was then you were doing women's art instead of doing art. And so a lot of artists uh, you know, just would, would, would kind of eschew that, like, that, you know, that, that, uh, that identity. And, and here we see that this, this expression, and it's one that doesn't just happen within the LDS or Mormon community, it's within the contemporary art That's world. what I was going to right? follow up with that to, ask. To is, say, is, that, yeah. is, that a, is that a Latter-day Saint phenomenon, no. or is that a culturally broad phenomenon? No, it's a culturally broad phenomenon where, yeah. where women and women's experiences and women's voices are becoming increasingly valued and heard. Yeah. Okay, so this has to do with, with Latter-day Saints. This last question that I'm going to ask, and then I'm going to open it up for, for the audience to ask questions, does have to do with what I think is a huge difference between Latter-day Saint art and between what is our larger cultural, cultural culture's art. And that is that modern art, if you were to look at somebody like Robert Hughes, an art critic who was talking mainly about mid-century art, he said that it has, as a huge part of its purpose, revolution, criticism and protest, right? So a lot of the art that's created is there to speak for the underdog, to take the contrary position, and to speak truth to power. And this is going to be the whole, maybe the most controversial question of the night, and that is what is the role, and is there a role, for women's art, or art in general in LDS art, that is full of protest, criticism, and revolution? I, I will say um, we have a work in here by Lee Udall Binion. She came to me over a year ago and wanted to show a work of Adam and Eve. She was very concerned about submitting it to the church because the title on it was pro-choice. And we showed it at Springville and had so many interesting conversations about it. I noticed she did change the name. Oh, is it still okay? And um, wait, wait, so wait, wait. We need to describe that for the listeners. So, Laura, do you want to introduce yourself? Hi, sure. So I'm Laura Howe. I'm the art curator at the Church History Museum. I've been there three months, so I wasn't involved in the conceptual conceptualization of the art competition. So come over here. I'm going to ask you to say it one more time because I was late on the mic drop. <laughs> Sorry, got caught here. There you are. I have 
Well, I'll speak to this. So I'm Laura Howe. I'm the art curator at the Church History Museum. I've just been there three months, so I'm new in the position. So I wasn't involved in the conceptualization of the International Art Competition. It is independently juried, so no one at the museum um, is on the jury. There's five jurors who are involved. What do you read it, right? Not this time. Not this year. Okay, sorry. Um, and um, however, the there is a level of correlation, so there's a little bit of approval of, of what gets in. And that I sailed through. I don't think there was any concern or problem with it. It's I'm going to go on a limb and say it's my favorite work in the show. But it has Adam and Eve. Um, there's a long tradition of blaming Eve for the Garden of Eden in all of visual heritage. And if you're not blaming Eve, you're going to blame the snake. So you might as well make the snake a woman. So on Sistine Chapel, you've got this, this feminine snake. Um, and in it, you see, um, so Lee has painted Eve. She's holding that apple. She looks confidently at the viewer. She is open. She is making that conscious choice, and, and Adam is supporting her. And so she's titled it Pro-Choice Reflections on Agency, um, which I think is gorgeous. And that's in the church collection? It it's in the, uh, it's not. It was in the show. But she, I, I, I was so impressed that she came to me aware that there could be some that had an issue with it. And she was very respectfully saying, that's why I say respectful protest, I think is interesting to me. She was saying, but I feel very strongly about this. And she has been pushing that, uh, uh, just always a little bit ahead over the years. We have at BYU several things. At, at the church, we've shown her works. She was one of the first to bring a Madonna-type image with a halo that we actually showed in a church competition. Right <laughs> Yay. And so I think, I think we are seeing these voices that have been 20, 25 years moving toward that direction um, because many of them have wanted to stay within you know, some cultural and spiritual sensitivities. But I think it's, it's been very brave for some of these female artists to handle tough conversations in their work. So Ashley, I'm going to go down the line. Ashley, okay. protest revolution criticism in, in its place. I mean, definitely, if we're talking about revolution in terms of change, yes. Like, let's evolve, let's change, let's call. And, and I, I mean, by nature, I, I, I love the language of respect, but I, and I think it can be done in a way that's respectful and really compelling, that will really um, speak to people in terms of, of calling on difference and inviting that in through the visual arts. I mean, if we're talking about especially women as the, the creative agents in some of these statements, I mean, I was just thinking of, of some of these things like we've seen Rita pointed out with Lee's painting and, and I've seen work by some of the women that are in this show in other spheres that, that have actually, that have taken on the, and destigmatized the female body in a really beautiful way, in a way that is, you know, outside of what we might see in our streamlined church discourse, but as women working in an art world, they're able to bring a very ennobling and a very pointed discussion to the human body and, and the beauty of that and issues of diversity and issues of equanimity within our culture and, and beyond. I mean, I think all of these topics are ones that, that invite, and it is a work of, 
progress over time that invite these and, and should happen, in my opinion. So this is so. Before we move on to Heather with this question, with the same question, I want to ask ask a follow up question because you at a university, which are often hotbeds of liberalism, <laughs> we know BYU is famous for that. Um, question: I have once. I remember having a conversation with you and other administrators of the museum, and I think I had in my mind, and I didn't know this that I had this in my mind that some of the restrictions of the kinds of images that are put in the museum I thought was kind of a top-down decision of we're not going to put that out into the public because that's not what we represent. When actually the reaction that I don't know who it was in our conversation gave it was if we put it out in the museum we would get 50 letters a day about it from the viewers. And so I guess the question is when you're dealing with things that are revolutionary in subject like women's bodies, you're, de you're, you're dealing with subject matters that are different. How does BYU handle pushing the audience, which can often be the restrictive element in what's shown, how does BYU handle that kind of revolution? Mike, if I had that answer, yeah, <laughs> then my job would be so different. Um, but it, it's, a, it's a work in progress. It's a dance we do. And we're trying to learn. I think this is an ongoing am I Am I right, though, that it's, that it's off in the audience that's I mean, the it's, question? For us, and I mean, I hate to speak for the university, but in my experience working at the museum, I mean, it's, there are concerns from top and bottom. I mean, it is true that we deal with an audience who's very diverse in, in what um, they feel is appropriate in you know what they're open to visually and so we're constantly trying to be sensitive to that but also inviting inviting a challenge inviting a new dialogue um, I mean it was one example and um, hopefully this will speak to your point a couple years ago I had the opportunity to curate an exhibit at the museum and I wanted to bring in contemporary Latter-day Saint art and um, in a way, the exhibit was kind of a test in my mind of, I wanted to see what the audience would respond to. So I intentionally included a cross-section of styles, um, some very, very traditional and some that were you know, much more contemporary in, in a lot of ways, and just see how people responded. And it was fascinating to me to see how open, and I love to think of my audience as the students and to reach out to that demographic how open they were to the very abstract. More open than you thought they would be? Not that I thought they would be, um, but I was just so amazed at some of the emotional responses I saw with, I mean, there was, there was a student there who um, is a member of the LGBTQ community at BYU. I am so sorry. I knew this would happen. Where's it? Here, here, right here. It's up my sleeve. <laughs> no. Okay. So, um, and he stood in front of a work of art by by an artist that is, you know, very. The artist was was Casey Jack Smith. So I mean, in this context, not a woman artist, but a, uh, but it is a very. I mean, it's a dynamic work, but it's very I mean, conceptual in my mind, and not necessarily, you know, representational in a narrative way at all. And he was so moved by it, and he. He turned to me and just like, thank you. And another experience where we had a painting that shows Heavenly Mother in participating in the act of creating Adam. That was part of the exhibit and I had, um, had a woman come up to me and just hug me. She came up to my office and hugged me and she was crying. She's like, thank you for inviting art in that is speaking of me 
and my role and my experience. And so, I mean, it's a dance. There's also some of our patrons who maybe did not like some of those selections, but, but I do think as we, we introduce it in, we contextualize in a way that it's okay to put in a new discourse, a new challenge within something that, that can help advance that in a, in a safe way. But I think we have to make those steps. Thank you. Okay. Heather, protest, revolution, criticism. Um, yes. This I'm, is going I'm, to be I'm, our greeting I'm from now on. I'm generally in favor. How are you doing, Heather? Favor. Protest, revolution, <laughs> criticism. I am generally in favor of those things. I'm a scholar of revolutionary <laughs> art. I believe in pushing boundaries and so on. But I think Robert Hughes has a limited idea of what yes. art can and should accomplish, art should edify, art should invite conversation, um, art should um, you know, challenge our ideas and, and encourage conversation and introspection. And so, I mean, he's very much a man of his generation, you know, kind of the 60s of protest yeah. and, and so on. Um, it also is antithetical to the uh, uh, LDS church in terms of, of what's effective <laughs> and, uh, you know, Declaring, well, declaring a revolution and saying this is an art of protest will only get you and your cause so far. And so for me, it's the subtle um, gestures of asking questions, exploring ideas, seeking new kinds of understanding. And for me, to humor is one of the best ways to do it. And that's that's actually a hallmark of contemporary women's uh, women's art is to challenge protest, call for change, whatever we might call it, by pointing out um, certain elements of a society or a culture or even religious practice that are worthy of being called into question, or if not called into question, at least um, to having further like, a dialogue and discussion and, and, and so on about. So, so I would say, yes, art can be that, but within this particular context, I think there may be other ways of, of, of categorizing that. And like I said, I, you know, art should be doing so many other things. My, one of my favorite quotes by Diderot, and I'm going to not be able to give it to you verbatim, but he just looks around all this art in the 18th century uh, French salon and just says, um, move me, surprise me, delight me, hmm. right? I want to have that, that, that intimate and, and emotional connection with art, and um, that for me you know, is, hmm. is where effective art is, is happening. So. Thank you. Hannah Miller, criticism, protest, and revolution. Maybe generally and within the temple department. <laughs> or the committee. You know, I, I don't see that happening anytime soon. But um, in the larger scope of things, I keep coming back to Rita's comment about, you know, without the restraint of a single patron, you know, guiding the art of LDS women artists, you get more individual experiences coming out through this artwork and at the same time that creates this environment of empathy. And so while you're pointing out an individual experience, you're unifying a group and you have these experiences in museums and even in temples where these people have these spiritual or very profoundly personal experiences. Um, and I think that does elicit change. I think protest and criticism and what was the last one? Revolution. Revolution are such aggressive terms, so that I I can't say that it would be. I I agree with the other comments that it would be more subtle, but it's certainly possible. Thank you. 
Okay, questions from the audience. I'm going to bring the mic to you, and we'll take we'll take uh, we'll take four 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 or five questions if that's right, and more if you're burning, right? <laughs> This is really inappropriate me, but I just want to co-op the panel for just a second to speak to something that I think it's important for everyone in this room to know. Um, so again, I'm new in this position, um, but uh, a lot of the reason art exists in the place it does is it these four images got canonized 40 years ago, and it's easier for meeting houses to spit them out. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and so you have the where art is for meeting houses and annuals stand up and you know in the magazines and um, those departments didn't communicate very much together um, and so the the church history museum acquires art but it had its own specific goals that weren't necessarily adjacent with the with the other departments however in the last month I have had meetings with come follow me manuals they came and took a tour with me um, I've spoke with meeting houses uh, recently, I've spoken, uh, who else have I talked to? Missionary department came over. Within the last week, the show International Art Competition went down on Wednesday. Within the last week, I had church photography come over and said, this is such great, exciting stuff. We got to use this. And from the missionary department, who's going to be using the conference center a little bit, said, can we use pieces of the show? There's women. It's international. It's great. Um, Come Follow Me manual came and said, is there some stuff? Because they're eager to update to get people to look at scriptures in fresh new ways, and they want art to be a big part of that. Um, and it was really funny to say, no, we don't own this art. It's going home on Wednesday. But I'm sure glad you like it. But we know these artists that's always on the internet. If you want to work with them, we can put you in contact. Um, so what I'm saying is that these departments are communicating in new ways that they have not previously, and that is exciting. So in looking at meeting house art, hopefully we can get more than Minerva in there um, and reflect. And, and I don't want to make promises. Don't quote me that I made promises because I don't want to make because because there's a lot of processes in place. Yeah, I know. <laughs> But communication is happening in ways that has that has not happened in the last two hundred years. That's fabulous. Thank you. Another That's question so great. or comment. So, um, one of the reasons why I came tonight is I am so interested in some of the ideas and inspiration that you've been thinking about, drawing back to the theme of the night, the power of a purpose statement particularly with art and the human experience and some of the meanings that you tether to the to those powerful wor words of purpose statement. You know, I went around and read the purpose statements, but I'm really interested in what um, personal revelation you got as you were kind of preparing for the night and what that means to you, uh, particularly to a woman's story. So wh whatever way you want to answer that. And Heather, I'd love for you to start first, if that's okay. Okay, sure. Oh, oh yeah, I'm right, so sorry. Uh, so I was thinking about the words certain and purpose, uh, particularly as I was preparing. And uh, certain is different than certainty, right? And um, I do think it has a sense of um, kind of differentiating, right, certain, certain, certain women that could be seen as negative and elitist, and I don't, I don't think that that is there, but women who are um, certain about their um, divine potential and who are purpose-driven 
in um, in their lives and in their expressions uh, of that. And one of the things I, I, I've taught hundreds and hundreds of young women at BYU. I've been there since 2001, and um, so I've, I've taught many that I am just thrilled to see is them discover and maintain a sense of, of purpose, and not one that has been handed to them, not one that is, they've been memorized, but to say, this is who I am, and who I need to be, and who I want to be, and who I can be, and I'm going to orient my, my life towards that purpose, or those purposes, and that kind of conviction, I guess, that is part of being kind of certain and purposeful, that's, that's a life well lived. And it takes a lot of people, and I would dare say a lot of women, a long time to come to that. I know that I certainly am much more um, certain and purposeful as, as a middle-aged woman than I was um, in, in my 20s. But seeing those seeds kind of begin um, and, and asking those important questions, um, to me, is what it's all about. And so as I was looking at the art, some have texts to explain that. Sometimes the art is just meant to sort of speak, speak for it itself. Um, I, I just thrilled to see the, the purposeful there. It's very powerful. Hannah, do you want to answer that? Um, I, I'm always thinking about, you know, LDS art in terms of where it could go in a temple or would it go into a temple. And so it's always been meaningful to come to forums like this where my vision of that is expanded and I get to, you know, view things through a different lens, so to speak. Um, and I, I think it's, it's been important for us as a community to kind of see these shows um, and see different approaches and how even, and I think what I'm most struck by is how this, these different approaches even aesthetically because the, the church is so focused on a more singular aesthetic, you know, not totally but largely, um, and how even that aesthetic brings a different voice on top of what the subject is that they're they're discussing in their art, and so yeah, that's that's how I can best answer that. <laughs> yeah, um, as I was looking through the images in the exhibition, um, and one of the things that really touched me was the idea of because of the nature of the show, that this was a chance for these women to give artistic voice, visual voice to kind of their deepest desires and their vision of themselves. And to me, there's, there's just a really inspiring vulnerability about that. And that idea that, that I think it's so amazing to have women who are um, confident and even if they're not confident, because I know there's a lot of artists who with trepidation, you know, put their piece in front of, of the masses, but that are willing to share their stories and to be real um, in a way that, that really does impact. And um, I had, a, I had a, a long process several months ago when I was thinking about religious art, because that happens in my life, and, uh, and I was thinking about what do we need in our contemporary 
society in our church that that could inspire people more with art and I thought I love paintings of the Savior with children they're beautiful but as I walked through crises with dear friends and family members this year I wanted to share to me what was important to me I wanted to share an image with them that could speak to them and what they're experiencing I thought more and more these kind of images that, that tell of personal experience and struggle and vision and hope and all those things are so powerful and that artists are willing to share that and that all of you as, as the artists of this show have been able to share that with us. It inspires me and it really, I think, touches a lot of people to be real and see that in art. I came a couple of days ago to walk through this exhibition on my own because I believe very strongly there is an encounter that between the viewer and the work of art that happens on an individual basis. Whether we are calling it light, truth, knowledge, energy, I believe that part of the artist is embedded in that work of art. And I really like to approach it individually. And then as we got to talk about it and, and review some of those emotions that we had, I think that's where I see the spirit of the artist, their commitment, their purpose can be felt through their choice of subject, through their medium. The fact that these artists are conveying that through a visual art medium says something to me very different than, than were it music or were they doing poetry. And so that's what I think is really important that they do take that on but also to recognize and whether I'm encountering an art artwork that's been owned by different people over the years and not to get ultra metaphysical about it but I do think an artwork carries the spirit of those that create it, those that view it, those even that have had it in their lives through ownership or sharing institutionally and that's one of the most powerful things that I think an artist connecting their own personal power of spirit through that work is important. Thank you. That's a good note to end on. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Well, I would like to thank everyone for coming, especially for the work that Nicole Woodbury, Laura Erickson, and Mary Cole have been doing for for this. Mary Bricky Cole. Um, well, to, to footnote that, because there are real practical everyday aspects of doing something oh. like this, mm -hmm. both creating art, selling art, sharing it with others. So what they have been doing and that kind of daily little taking care of odds and ends and actually hanging, installing, gathering, is huge for what It has we been do. huge. As someone who's witnessed what they've been doing and the way they've been thinking about this, they're not only artists, but they could, let's start a museum for them mm -hmm. to run. <laughs> they would do yes. Or hire them at yours. Yes. Um, if you'd like to know more about events that are happening around this exhibition, it ends on November 9th. It's here every day at Anthony's Fine Art from 10 to 5 p.m. Monday through Saturday. And um, it, there are events that they have scheduled, including 
Um, uh, a couple of other events, well, you'll see them online, Celebrating Better Days 2020. There will be a ceremony for various organizations who have decided to give money and grants to artists that are involved in this show. Go to certainwomenartshow.com. That's certainwomenartshow.com. And the handle is Certain Women Art Show on social media, right? So that's where you find it on Instagram. Thank you again. Thank you to our panelists, Rita Wright, Ashley Whitaker, Heather Belknap, Hannah Miller. We're so grateful that we have leaders like you and organizers like you and teachers in this community. And I know that many of the artists here are here because of you. So thank you very much for being here. I would like to thank all those who participated in the Certain Women Art Show panel. Rita Wright, Ashley Whitaker, Heather Belknap, and Hannah Miller. And, of course, the organizers of the Certain Women Art Show for making it possible. For more details on events and locations of the Certain Women Art Show, visit certainwomenartshow.com. And to access an archive of interviews for this podcast, visit Zion Art Society's website, zionartsociety.org under the podcast tab. I am Micah Christensen. Thank you for listening.